song is a sweet song to sing together, and it goes right along with this passage that I've been meditating on this week. Uh, psalm 40 might be my new favorite psalm. In, the, in that psalm, David wrote, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the congregation, the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance in my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. And it is my prayer that this morning you would be able to say that along with David, that you are not restraining your lips, that you are not concealing the good news of deliverance that you have received from the Lord this morning as we sing together, as we talk to one another. And if you, have a, if you need a reason why you shouldn't restrain your lips, David says this right in verse 11, as for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. So two things are going on in that passage. He's not restraining his lips because God's not restraining his steadfast love. And may that be true of us this morning as well. We are so glad that you are all here with us this morning to worship. If you would, please take out your worship folder. Inside this worship folder, you'll find all sorts of information about things going on inside the church. You'll also find this little check-in card inside. It'd be a big blessing to us if you would take a quick moment to fill that out. You could also do it on your phone via our church app, which you can download for free. And you also can add any prayer requests or praises on those. Um, if you would like to share those with us, we are a
So at the end of the service, if you'd like to, we'd encourage you to go by there and visit. And if you have any questions, they'd be able to answer questions you have, give you more information about the church, and even give you a gift just to show our appreciation and love for you. Well, uh, next Sunday, we have a special family church get-together. You know, it's getting close to the holiday seasons where we're all kind of coordinating with our families and to experience the joy and fun of being with our families for the holidays. Um, But we do that with our church family as well. And so next Sunday during the 930 hour, I highly encourage you all to be here in the Family Center for our congregational meeting. And during that meeting, you're going to hear from the leadership of the church, give a bunch of updates about ministries that are going on in the church, how our church is growing, and how our church is ministering within our communities, within our nation, and around the world at large. And so just a really sweet time to kind of come and celebrate what God is doing and pray for the work that is still yet to be done. So I'd encourage you all to come and attend that as part of the family of Newcastle. Well, before we continue singing, would you please bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we just thank you that um, you have delivered us. You are our Savior. And I pray that we would not restrain our lips this morning, that we would um, feel free, that we would uh, feel joyful in celebrating the truths that we're singing about, that we would celebrate the truths as we talk to one another of the great deliverance that we have had from the penalty and the bondage, the slavery of sin. And Father, I pray that as we continue to worship you, not only through song, but through prayer, through sitting underneath the teaching of the word, that you would continue to transform our church and help us to be more like Christ for your glory. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So you're going to notice that theme woven throughout this entire service, through the songs we sing, through the prayers that we pray, and through some of the videos that we're going to watch. And just encourage you as you you listen to these songs that you would reflect on how our brothers and sisters are suffering for being associated with Christ around the world and how we can let be a blessing to them, and how we can seek to encourage them. So would you please stand, though, as we continue to worship God together. To him, the God of light, who formed the mountains by his might. All praise to him who names the stars that sing his fame in skies afar. All praise to him who reigns in love, who guides the galaxies above, yet bends to hear our power and tender fear. All praise to Him whose love is seen in Christ the Son, the Servant King, who left 
name is Rebecca. I live in the north of Nigeria. One evening I was out with my daughter and on our way home we saw smoke rising above our village. We were under attack. There was nothing we could do to defend ourselves. My husband and I were married in that village. My wedding day, it was the happiest day of my life. Some members of our church gave us a wedding gift. It was a Bible. We read it together, every day. children were old enough, we read it to them and their friends. Let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them. And do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Church of Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Verse 14. Verse 14. On the day our village burnt to the ground, my husband and my son were killed in the attack. I was devastated. I mourned for many months. Some of us were able to return to our village to reclaim anything that was left. Genesis and Revelation were burnt, but the rest was mostly intact. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a wild flower. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. 
but the word of the Lord endures forever. I still use this Bible. It reminds me of God's faithfulness. Naked I came from my mother's womb, but naked I shall return there. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is a husband to all widows. I look to him for every need. This is what I am still holding on to. Good morning. Uh, our global outreach partners, John and Missy Camiola, uh, serve in Nigeria. And there are absolutely no, no global partners any more real than John and Missy. Please help me welcome John this morning. Well, good morning. Greetings from Northern Nigeria. Usually, Missy and I are up here. We're talking about Grace Gardens and our focus of our ministry. And I seldom talk about the last seven years working with the persecuted church. And so today is a special day with IDOP, International Day of Prayer. And what is even more special is Rebecca is one of the widows we serve. And so that brings me super uh, excitement. Uh, I'm thankful for a strategic partnership here with Newcastle, and I'm also uh, really thankful for a strategic partnership with Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, the video you saw today, uh, I could never do it. My wife, and I, I, my wife and I are asked to make videos all the time, and we are not technically sound, and so having a large organization backing up our ministry has been really special. We were just in uh, Nigeria about two weeks ago, and we were sitting with Rebecca and just seeing how she was and knowing that uh, this video was going to come out. And uh, she's doing really well. She still has her Bible. She brought it to us while we were talking and got to hear where she is right now. And I was thinking, Missy and I were talking about Rebecca 
on this trip here. Rebecca is a really quiet person who's endured so much. And I remember a few years ago when she came, when we found her in northern Nigeria and we moved her to Joss. Um, and she um, just had so much going on, so much trauma going on. Um, and Missy was, uh, Missy has the gift of hospitality, so we put her in a guest house to try to get her warm and stabilized to figure out the next steps. And Missy's getting blankets and coats, and we're trying to get her dinner. And Rebecca was so thankful. She said, uh, for the past year, uh, this was the first time that her kids did not go to bed hungry. They were warm. And uh, she said to the effect of this is the first time her kids were not seeing the stars at night because the house that they were living in was the burnt house and it didn't have a roof. And so today she was really thankful. It also reminds me of another story that I just uh, recently met in the last year of a pastor I had coffee with. Missy and I were there. And this was a, a man who had been uh, kidnapped alongside with family members, tortured, um, had some really tough experiences. And as we were listening to his story and trying to figure out how we could help, uh, the American side of me was like, hey, can uh, we pull you out of your area, take your family, try to uh, create some comfort for you, uh, find you a different house because you're in a really bad spot. And one thing I've learned working with the persecuted church, I've learned a lot over the last seven years, going to various places and seeing uh, the the destruction that happens to our brothers and sisters. Uh, this pastor taught me a lot. He said, you know, um, when God has a plan for you, when he takes you back to the classroom, his kidnapping, he said, I got a, a lot to learn from God. And I, I, I was shocked by what he said. And he said, I said, don't you want to be in a safe place? He said, no, God had this plan. I, I, I'm learning a lot. And if God had me, a plan for me to be kidnapped, he has something to teach me. And that, like, totally racked my mind, you know, that um, while some of us would have sympathy and how, how does this happen to our brothers and sisters, actually their testimonies will, I hope, challenge you in your faith that you'll become a bold witness. As we continue this conversation with this pastor, the pastor didn't want to leave his area. They went af after him purposely. And so he's standing where he is in his village to continue his faith, which really challenged me. And my prayer for you this morning as a church body, as believers in this area, that God would give you a boldness, to be a bold witness in your community, in your missions, wherever you may go. I pray that you don't uh, lose that burden, that flame, that passion. And once again, thank you so much for your support and your love for us. Every time we walk in this church, you guys smile, greet us, and remember us, and I really appreciate that. And so thank you once again so much for all that you do. Thank you, John. Let's turn to the, <clears throat> excuse me, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Uh, but before we do, we should uh, dismiss children uh, three through kindergarten for Children's Church. Just head on out the back there and they'll find a place to take you for an age-appropriate gospel lesson. Let's, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. You are not only the God of mercy who does not give us what we deserve, but you are also the God of grace who gives us what we do not deserve. We worship and praise you for being the great creator of this universe and all that is herein. Thank you for this simple, wonderful plan of salvation. Thank you, Jesus, for paying our sin debt with your life, taking on the guilt and punishment we deserve. Please help us show our appreciation by living for you. And Father, thank you so much for John and Missy being here today. We ask you to please bless their ministry. It is a great privilege for us to be a part of their ministry. And Father, we just pray for their safety and their team's safety. Help them to use godly wisdom uh, as they return to Nigeria. Just uh, protect them from the terrorism. Father, there are struggling believers who need the fellowship of each other and that of John and Missy, and we ask you to fill that need. We also pray that they would be able to establish security protocols when they return. And Father, we just pray for the citizenship needs of Hadassah, and we just thank you knowing that you'll fill those needs. Father, we also pray for our partner church, Living Hope Community Church in Bartonville. We pray your favor on Pastor Art's preaching this morning and for the church family to excel even more in love, in unity, and in joy. And Heavenly Father, it is a privilege to live in this great nation. And we pray that believers across this nation would turn out to vote and that people would be put in office who will support your principles, that your name would be glorified. And Father, we pray that regardless of the outcome, that you help us to realize and know that you have allowed those who are put into authority over us to serve at your will. Remind believers across this country that you are in control and that the powers that be are ordained by you. We thank you, Father, for how you blessed us here at Newcastle. We pray for our leadership here, that we would follow your leading and that we would point people to you, dear Jesus. Please continue to bless us as we seek to follow your will. And we ask now that you help us to open our hearts to your word this morning. Help us to be changed for your glory. Please be with Pastor Kevin as he teaches us from your word. And we just want to thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 13, we actually have a command, a reminder um, to remember those who are persecuted. And anytime you come across a command in Scripture, you should automatically th consider the fact that the fact that it's there means we struggle with it. That's why we need it. And so this command says in Hebrews 13, to remember those who are in prison as if you are there in prison with them. Or remember those who are mistreated as if you are as well, because we are of the same body in the body of Christ. And this song we're about to sing, we haven't sung it in a while. We sang it last year. It's to a familiar old hymn, but it helps us express that truth of Hebrews 13, to remember those. So please, would you stand with us as we sing, Let Me Be a Blessing.
Amen. What a great and appropriate song to sing together. Uh, May we point the suffering to the day of Jesus when all of our anguish shall be swept away. So today we are celebrating the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. A Bible with you, just raise your hand, and we would love to give you a copy of God's Word as our gift to you today. I'm so thankful for the Camiola's visit today. Uh, I don't know, a church, if, if you realize how blessed we are that uh, this video about Rebecca is being shown literally in thousands of churches around the world today, and Newcastle Bible Church has the Camiola's here today to help us uh, as, as they are the ones actually on the ground ministering on behalf of that agency with Rebecca. And so just so thankful for John and Missy and their ministry to us. Uh, in many ways, I feel like a persecution kindergartner trying to teach about persecution with the, the graduates of persecution with the Camiolas here among us today. And so... I'm just humbled, I'm very, very humbled by the Camiola's ministry and, and their partnership with us. And I'm praying, church, that as we turn our attention to Philippians chapter one today, that God's gonna use the preaching of his word to actually move our affections and our wills and our desires so that we'd think and act and believe more like Jesus. And in so doing, build up the body of Christ all around the world for his glory. This morning, our plan is very simple. We're going to learn from how Paul himself prayed in Philippians chapter 1, praying out of persecution for the persecuted. And then we're going to take communion together at the end of our service, not only remembering our persecuted brothers and sisters, but we're going to remember our persecuted Lord, remembering what Jesus did so that we could all be saved in our sins could be forgiven. So at the end of this message, I'm going to go right into communion, which means if you haven't yet picked up uh, the communion elements, the juice and the cracker, please stand up right now. And at the back of the um, room or at the front of the room, you can help yourself to these. And, and please do so, so that when we get to that point in the service, we can go right into communion and you'll already have the juice and the cracker with you then. But in the meantime, if you're able, I'm going to invite everyone to stand in honor of the public reading of God's Word as I read for us Philippians chapter 1 uh, from the ESV translation, verses 3 to 8 of Philippians chapter 1. This is what Paul uh, was praying for persecuted Christians, even as he himself was being persecuted. Philippians 1, 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together for God's help as we meditate on this text now. So, Father, we come to you with a dependence upon your spirit to teach us from your word what you would have us to know. Father, this is not a comfortable topic for us to talk about today. There's, there's something about persecution that, that disrupts our ease. It disrupts our self-focus. It, it calls us to live for eternity rather than for the here and now. And so I pray that you would help us to truly be humble, please. Father, I'm so thankful that you are the teacher of this church and, and that your spirit uses your word to purify us. And I, I just pray, Father, that you'd purify our hearts from sin, purify our hearts from selfishness, purify our hearts from living for here and now. Mobilize your church, Father, to love and to serve and to, to strengthen those among us who are suffering. Oh God, I pray that you would glorify your name and change us. Please glorify your name by changing us and making us more like Jesus. Through our worship of you now, we pray. Amen. Well, how do you respond when you hear the story of Rebecca? I don't know about you, but when I, when I watch that video and I think about how Rebecca must have, like, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in her story and I'm trying to feel what she feels and believe what she believes. I mean, such testimonies of faith and perseverance in the midst of such horrific evil, it disturbs our comfort, it disturbs our sense of ease. This week I've been praying like, Lord, how do I, how do I preach to a church that is so comfortable a message about such horrific persecution and how do I call us to suffer and embrace God's plan for suffering with faith and with courage and with humility? Persecution always humbles our self-centeredness. It reorients our joy and our peace towards eternity out of this present age. Persecution causes all of us to yearn for justice and to ask that God please judge the wicked, make all the wrongs right. Stories of persecution like Rebecca's that we watched earlier are good for us to hear because persecution actually has the power to change us. We watch Rebecca pick up her Bible from the ashes underneath her bed and it makes us more thankful for our Bibles this morning. We watch Rebecca walk her daughter into that church in northern Nigeria and we immediately become more thankful for our own family members we hear John's report today of this pastor and it immediately wants us to make 
to do more and to, to be more involved and to pray more for our brothers and sisters who have been so horrifically abused at the hand of evil people simply because of their public identification with Jesus. Persecution is obviously very painful, but for the soul who is hidden in Christ, persecution is very productive. Jesus never wastes suffering, especially any suffering that we endure for the sake of his name. Persecution has the power to make us more like Jesus. Persecution can actually change us, church, for good. And so as we open our Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 1, we discover that persecution can even change how we pray for one another. Regardless of whether we are being persecuted ourselves or whether we are just walking alongside others who are being persecuted, the horrors of being mistreated by evil people reorients our prayers to what truly matters, elevates our prayers out of our selfishness, out of the here and now living, out of superficiality. Persecution calls us to fix our hope in eternity, and therefore changes how we pray for one another when we suffer. So let's quickly set the context for this letter in Philippians before we walk through these verses. Remember, the Apostle Paul is the one who's writing this. He's, he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi from a prison cell in Rome. So Paul, the persecuted one, is writing to the Philippians, the believers in Philippi, who have also experienced all kinds of persecution. You can read about their persecution in Acts chapter 16. And so here in this opening address to his letter, Paul is expressing his prayer for his brothers and sisters in Philippi that he hasn't seen now for probably at least five years. So isn't it fascinating that on this International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We're going to learn how to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters by considering the prayer of a persecuted brother, <laughs> a brother named Paul, who himself is being persecuted even while he's praying for his persecuted brothers and sisters. And through this study, I'm praying that God is going to reorient and to elevate our prayers beyond the unpleasant circumstances and persecution itself to re-anchor our hope in eternity, our hope in Jesus, our hope in eternal glory. So let's begin first by looking at verses 3 to 5, which help us understand how persecution calls us to pray with gratitude. When you are being persecuted or you're helping someone else who's being persecuted for righteousness sake, that persecution is an opportunity for us to pray with thanksgiving. Now that's very counterintuitive, isn't it? <laughs> like, uh, pastor, are you off your rocker? Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would we pray with thanksgiving? Why would we have gratitude when we are suffering horrific evil just simply because of our identification with Jesus. I mean, here's Paul. He's wrongly imprisoned. He's given the death penalty simply for the crime of preaching salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. 
Why would Paul be thankful for being imprisoned and being given the death penalty for such a glorious privilege? Well, look in verses three to four. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So what motivates Paul to pray out of his persecution with gratitude? His joyful memories of the Philippian believers, right? When persecution drives us to pray, we can pray with gratitude because of our joyful memories of gospel friends. Persecution or undeserved suffering can tempt us to fall into self-pity. It can tempt us. When we're suffering horrific evil, we can be tempted to become self-focused in bitterness or despair or unbelief. But when we remember, we are not alone. and We are part of a spiritual family all around the world that's standing firm by God's spirit against the evils of persecution. Well, that encourages our faith. That encourages and actually brings us joy. Paul continues to explain his gratitude in verse five, explaining that he's praying for the Philippians with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So suffering for the sake of Christ gives Christians an opportunity to pray to God with gratitude because of our joyful partnership our joyful partnership with other believers who are also sacrificially proclaiming Jesus and standing firm in his gospel. Paul was so thankful for this Philippian church. This this church in Philippi had partnered with him from the very, very beginning of his gospel ministry. You say, well, how did this church partner with Paul? Well, they first believed the gospel themselves (laughs) and then they prayed for Paul and they participated in the proclamation of the gospel themselves. And in fact, according to chapter four, verses 10 to 20 of this letter, now that Paul was imprisoned in Rome, the church in Philippi had taken up a financial collection and they had sent a financial gift through Epaphroditus One of their brothers from Philippi sent a gift with Epaphroditus to Rome to encourage Paul with financial support. So this, they were gospel partners with Paul by their encouragement, by their intercession, by their visitation, by their financial support. And this caused Paul such joy and such gratitude for their partnership. So church, as we've taken today to to pull the bus over and focus on praying more for our persecuted brothers and sisters. Will you joyfully thank God that your brothers and sisters around the world are standing firm in Christ against persecution by the power of God's spirit? Will you joyfully thank God for the faithfulness of other Christians in their gospel partnership with us today? And will you also seek opportunities, church, to express your partnership with our persecuted brothers and sisters so that their gratitude to God could increase in their prayers for you? How is God calling us as a church today to partner in prayer, in 
provision, in participation, in praise with our GO partners who are actively serving the persecuted church all around the world on our behalf. If you were here last hour, you saw three videos from our global outreach partners that are serving the persecuted church in Northern Africa and in uh, Western Asia. There's, there's, we have connections with our global partners. They say, well, how can I be praying for the Camiolas and partnering with the Camiolas or with the Johnsons or with, with the CJs or with um, the, um, thank you, Cyphers. It's hard to do that. How can we be praying for our brothers and sisters who are serving the persecuted? The joy of your gospel partnership may be what God uses to help encourage persecuted brothers and sisters in a different part of the world because of their thanksgiving for your partnership with them. You say, but I don't really know how to, I mean, it's a different country, they're far away, different time zone. I don't really know how to personally partner with the persecuted church. Okay, I'm so glad you asked. I'm so glad you asked. If, 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 you, if you don't already have a connection to one of our GLOW partners, go out to the Global Outreach Wall on the south side of our building, pick up their prayer card, start emailing, asking them how can you serve them. That's one way. But if you turn over your notes page today and you look on the back of your notes page, you'll see I have a whole bunch of, of uh, recommended resources and there's some links there. There's some, uh, some URL websites where you can go and sign up for uh, updates from the field of our persecuted brothers and sisters. So for me, I, if you sign up for that uh, link that says icommittopray.com, do you see that there? icommittopray.com. If you go there and enter your email address, I've done this last year. So for the last year, every week I get an email from the Voice of the Martyrs that tells me a recent account of a persecution for one of my brothers, our brothers and sisters all around the world. And at the bottom of that email, every week is an opportunity for me to click a link and write a prayer or write an encouragement that when I hit send, it gets sent through the voice of the martyrs right to that brother or sister in their context where it can be translated and it can be used to encourage them. Church, we have real ways to personally encourage persecuted brothers and sisters every week. And may our encouragement and our partnership with them in their persecution be a source of their gratitude and a source of their encouragement and their praise. Some of you may choose to partner financially. Some of you, I would love it if Newcastle would send a small group of people to northern Nigeria sometime later this year to go and encourage Rebecca to go and encourage this pastor. If that's you, if you would love to go and be with the Camiolas in northern Nigeria later this year, talk to them while they're here today. Talk to the church office. Let us know how can we come alongside you and send a group and a team from this church to go and encourage our persecuted brothers and sisters. Here's the point. Whenever we encounter persecution for the sake of Christ, we want the joyful memories of our practical partnership with other believers to inform prayers with gratitude instead of grumbling and resentment. Next, verse six illustrates how persecution calls us to pray with confidence 
with confidence that God is sovereign and that God is good. I love verse 6. Paul says he's absolutely sure of this truth. He's absolutely certain his prayers are being elevated with the confidence that God is working. Oh, yeah, when you are being persecuted or you're watching that, that story of Rebecca, it seems like evil is winning. But the same God who began a good work in you is the same God who will bring that saving work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When evil attacks, we can pray with confidence, church, because our God is a finishing God. Our God is a God of finishing grace. The God who called us to salvation is the same God who promises to glorify us for all of eternity in our salvation. It is, notice, who's the one who's doing the work in verse six? God. It is God who has, is at work. It is God who began the good work of salvation. And where did he begin it? In you. you if you write in your Bible, circle, circle that word in our God began the good work of salvation in you so Christian take courage God himself is working in you even while evil people are working against you and God always keeps his promises so we can pray with confidence because glory is coming. God is working and glory is coming. God is going to save every one of his children to the uttermost when? At the day of Jesus Christ. That refers to Jesus' second coming. That's the day of the Lord. The final day of judgment when all evil will be punished and all the righteous will be vindicated and granted an eternal glory in the fullness of Jesus' joy. The day of Jesus is the fearful day of punishment and judgment for the wicked, persecutors and all proud sinners who have refused to bow their necks to Jesus will meet eternal punishment on the day of Jesus, at the second coming of Jesus. But all of God's children, all those who have trusted in Jesus' death and resurrection for your salvation, all of you who have been forgiven of your sins will receive glory on that day. Glory. Oh, church, persecution makes us long for the day of the Lord. Persecution causes us to pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Persecution calls us to pray with faith, with confidence that this world is not our home, but God is faithful and he will deliver us in the end. Now think about this, because... When we suffer, at the, especially at the hands of evil people, it often causes us to doubt. Christians who are enduring persecution, significant persecution, often wrestle with doubt and fear and anxiety. We're tempted to just give up because we're doubting the promises of God. But, but although Paul's pain in his persecution here is very severe, his faith in God is remaining strong. His confidence of our future glory is certain. 
He knows this momentary light affliction is connected to an eternal weight of glory. So what about you? What about you? When you're praying for the persecuted brothers, maybe, maybe you get that email and you, you're praying for somebody in China and a dear sister in China who just got put out of her house and, and is, is now without employment, without a place to live, and, and you're praying for her. Are you absolutely certain of the goodness of God and the promises of God as you pray for your brothers and sisters who are persecuted? Are you absolutely confident that the God who brought that person to faith in Christ is the same God who's gonna see them across the finish line for glory? That no human suffering can ever separate us from the love of Christ. Are you confident, church, that glory is coming And God is working, and it will all be made right in the end. Oh, church, there's no dropouts. There's no dropouts in God's plan of salvation. Whomever God saves, God will glorify. Verse 6 is a beautiful verse about eternal security of the believer. Everyone whom God saves is eternally secure. And this eternal security of God's saving grace is not something that we receive so that we can then just live however we want. Notice what this is. Eternal security is not something God does for us. It's something God works in us. So embrace the keeping power of God's spirit who is at work in you. And pray out of your persecution with gratitude and with confidence and then also with love. After all, verses 7 to 8 illustrate how Paul's persecution gave him an opportunity to pray with love for his brothers and sisters in Philippi. You can't escape the deep emotional connection that Paul has with his fellow Christians. Even though he hasn't seen them in five years, he's deeply emotionally connected to these believers In verse 7, Paul says, it's absolutely right for me to think this way. It's absolutely right for me to feel this way. It's absolutely right for me to have such confidence in your eternal security, even while you're suffering so much. Because, Paul says in verse 7, I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me. You all share with me in something. We're, we're, we're all together in this. What are, what are we together? What do we share? What are we partakers together of? We are partakers together of God's grace. In other words, Paul is praying with deep love and affection for other persecuted Christians because all believers share in Christ's grace together. And notice there's two specific ways that Christians share in God's grace in this text, both in my imprisonment, number one, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul's clear, I love you Philippians because we all share in God's grace of suffering and we all share in God's grace of ministry. God's grace unites all believers together in suffering and in ministry. So let's talk about the grace of suffering first. He says, uh, uh, we are partakers together of grace in my imprisonment, in suffering. Now, while my suffering might look different than your suffering, and, and your suffering in Christ for the sake of the gospel might look different than Rebecca's, 
all Christians who share in Christ's grace will necessarily share in the fellowship of Christ's suffering. So don't miss this. Suffering for the sake of Jesus is actually a grace gift of God. It's not just that God gives us grace when we suffer to help us with our suffering. But our suffering itself is a grace gift of God to us. You say, that does not compute. I don't get that. I don't like pain. You're telling me that Paul's imprisonment was actually a gift of God's grace to Paul? You're telling me that when I'm suffering in my workplace and people are calling me names because of how I stand for righteousness and refuse to practice evil and proclaim the glory of Christ, you're telling me that that pain that I experience is actually God pouring out his grace on me? Yes, I am. Persecution and suffering is itself a grace gift. Why? Because it frees our grip on the world. Suffering is a grace gift because it shows us more of the attributes of God. You can say, I know, I know that God is faithful. But then you go through suffering and you come out the other end, you're like, I know. I now know personally in experience that God is faithful. Suffering is the vehicle that God uses to show us more of himself. Persecution is a grace gift to the church to purify our hearts and help us know more of what God is and increase our spiritual appetite for heaven. But all Christians not only share in the grace of suffering, but also the grace of ministry. Paul says, you are partakers with me of grace in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So Paul knows he's not the only Christian who's being persecuted for righteousness' sake. In fact, every Christian, every follower of Jesus on the planet is united in this ministry of gospel proclamation. You are, right? Who are you praying for right now that you could share the gospel with? Who, who in your workplace are you seeking to have that, that, that gospel conversation, that spiritual conversation? Maybe you just start by saying, how can I pray for you this week? And then when you pray for them, you have an opportunity to talk about gospel realities. Who is God calling you to proclaim? The, because all Christians across the planet are united necessarily in this ministry of gospel proclamation. We are all Christ ambassadors. We are heavenly diplomats. So remember, church, whenever you suffer, you are sharing in God's grace with other believers. And when you are sharing the gospel with someone at work or you're answering that, that other student's question in school and they're kind of, they're, they're saying they don't believe in God and they just keep asking you all these questions. Well, if God's so good, then why does this happen in the world? And they're asking you this question in school. Well, if you're a Christian, then why, how can you do this? and you feel like you're under attack sometimes, know that you are sharing in the grace of ministry with all other believers. And this shared experience with God's grace increases your love and affection with all other believers who are also experiencing the same grace as you are. And then verse 8 offers a wonderful insight. I, I, I'm, I'm really kind of geeked out about this this week. Teaching that our love for other Christians in persecution is because we share in Christ's compassion. 
Verse eight says, for God is my witness. Paul says, oh, I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. The affection which is Christ affection. Literally, Paul is saying, I have the same feelings for you Philippians that Christ has for you. Jesus' affections for you are actually inside of me. Now that I've been united by faith with Christ, Jesus' love for you is now my love for you. And so I'm experiencing the affection and the compassion and the love for you that actually belongs to Christ. So as you remember our persecuted brothers and sisters today and this week in your prayers, let your emotions be moved. It is right for you to experience great compassion, great affection, great love and care for our afflicted brothers and sisters all around the world. After all, persecution changes how we pray for each other. Instead of becoming stoic or numbed by the pain of persecution, God's grace enables us to keep praying for persecution, brothers and sisters, with love. Instead of doubting or becoming fatalistic and giving up, God's promises enable us to keep praying with confidence. Instead of becoming self-focused or bitter, our joyful partnerships with other Christians enable us to keep praying for each other with gratitude. So today we want to joyfully share in Christ's suffering. We want to share in Christ's suffering with the persecuted through our prayers and through our joyful remembrance of all that Christ himself has suffered for our sake. So right now we're going to transition to communion. We've talked a lot about how to pray and how to think about our persecuted brothers and sisters, but now I want to focus our attention on our persecuted Lord. We want to remember how Jesus himself suffered and died in our place to bring us to God. So the band's going to come up and prepare to lead us in a time of singing in just a moment, but, but for right now, I just, I just want to ask you, have you thought much about Jesus today? We've been talking about the persecuted church, and, but have you thought much yet today about Jesus? Will you let your mind think back to what Jesus did on the cross for your sins? Remember, the wages of sin is death. So any sin that we have in our lives, whether it's a big sin or whether it's a small sin, as we somehow call them that, any sin deserves death. And so Jesus, the perfect son of God, I mean, he lived on this planet for 30 years and never sinned. He didn't deserve to die, but he chose to die. He chose to take my place and to take your place so that in our place, he could shed his blood and actually pay the death that our sins deserved so that now whoever believes in Jesus, if you believe that Jesus died to cover your sins and Jesus rose from the dead three days later to give you new life, if you believe that, your sins can be forgiven. That's amazing. That's glorious. But let's remember that Jesus didn't deserve that. 
Jesus was persecuted by evil, wicked men. So it's time for us to fix our attention on Jesus dying the death that our sins deserved, shedding his blood to purchase us as his bride, to make us his eternal bride forever. Do you remember how Jesus rose from the dead three days later? That tomb was left empty. Oh, he was, he was dead. But he came back to life. And he vacated that tomb so that now whoever believes in him can walk in newness of life by the power of his spirit. Oh, church, it's only when we remember how much Jesus has loved us that we will ever truly love our persecuted brothers and sisters. So I'm going to invite us to open just the top clear portion of your um, packet there just to expose that cracker. And uh, we're going to prepare to eat the cracker in just a moment. But Jesus taught us to remember him in this way. It was actually the final night before his death. They were celebrating Passover. Remember, Passover was where they applied the blood of a lamb to the doorpost so that the death angel would pass over that home and not bring judgment of death into that home. So now they're celebrating that. Jesus is celebrating that with his Jewish disciples. And he turns this Passover meal into a memorial feast of his death. So I want you to be clear about something. What we're about to do together as a church is we're about to eat and drink. I know it's a very small bite and it's a very small gulp. But we're about to do so in a, in a, in a memorial, in a, in a ceremonial way, in a symbolic way. And when we eat the cracker and when we drink the juice, it doesn't save us. So this is, this is something that only Christians do. Because if, if, you're not a, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're still in your sins, we're thrilled you're here. We're thrilled you're here today, but please just watch us. Because if you eat the cracker and you drink the juice, it doesn't change anything about your soul. These are just supposed to be symbols of what's already true of the inner reality of the Christian, that we have participated with Christ's death and we are already one with Christ by faith in him. You have to have faith in Jesus before communion or the Lord's Supper will be meaningful to you in any spiritual way. These are just symbols that help us remember how Jesus' body was crushed to pay for our sin, how Jesus' blood was spilled to cover us and bring us forgiveness. So here's what we're going to do before we eat together. We're going to have just the instruments play a little bit of background music while we pray privately by yourself, just you and the Lord. And I would invite you to pray a couple of different things. First, as you're just meditating and reflecting and praying to God, confess any sin that's currently between you and the Lord. If the Lord brings any sin to your mind that's hindering your relationship with God, confess that. Oh, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sins. So confess your sins and then Thank God for his promises. Thank God that he's a keeping God, that he's a finishing God. Thank God that he keeps all the persecuted safe, that he's the God that can 
protect Daniel in the lion's den, and he's the God that can protect Rebecca and help her. Even He's a God who can take believers home and bring them into eternity with fullness of joy and glory forever. Thank God and pray that God would help give you a greater love for each other, even in how we pray for each other. So confess your sins, thank the Lord, and pray that God will increase us in our love together as we remember his sacrifice for us. We're gonna pray and then I'll lead us in prayer before we eat, okay? Go ahead and pray. what you've done for us that we never deserved. We praise you, Father, for how you died on the cross and you rose from the dead so that all who believe in you would be saved. We praise you for the forgiveness of our sins. We praise you, Father, that you're a God who keeps your promises. We praise you that you're a God who's at work within us even now to finish what you started. Father, I pray that you'd help us to just delight in the cross of Christ, that our boast would not be in our religion, but our boast would be in the cross of Christ through whom the world was crucified to us and we were crucified to the world. The power of sin has been broken and your church rejoices because of the cross of Christ. We thank you for the empty tomb. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Father, that your church that we are, is here, we are not alone that we have the privilege of partnering together for your gospel. We thank you for the privilege it is to be your ambassadors in this world. Oh God, please, please help us to love you. Help us to delight in your sacrifice for us, even as we remember what you have done for us now. In Jesus' name, amen. With the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and He broke that bread and he passed it around the room and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Amen. Now please stay seated as we're gonna sing together a beautiful communion hymn. It's called Behold the Lamb which this hymn, as we sing it together, is gonna help us to celebrate how God loved us so much that he sent Jesus so that our present sufferings might be connected to his eternal glory forever. Let's sing this together. Behold. 
Behold the Lamb who bears our sins away, slain for us. And we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross. So we share in the bread of life, and we drink of his sacrifice as a sign of our bonds of peace around the table of the King. Amen. Well, I'd invite you now to peel back that uh, layer that exposes the juice in that cup and
prepare to drink the juice together. You know, I was reading this morning in my devotion in Luke and it was actually about this, uh, Today, this account. I'm so Jesus thankful was, for the Camiola's um, visit, uh, you know, turning the Passover meal into the communion memorial feast. And it's so fascinating there in Luke, he says, I will not drink of this cup again until we're in the kingdom together. And so the table of the lamb, the, the, the feast, you know, we're just taking just a, just a hint of a feast here, <laughs> you know, just one little gulp, one little bite, but that's a foretaste of the feast that is to come, church. It's the wedding feast of the lamb. It's the feast where Christ will eat with the redeemed. He will eat with his bride, and it will be a glorious celebration where the children have been brought home safe and sound, full of glory and full of joy forever. This little meal that we take together today is just a hint. It's a foretaste of what is to come. So Jesus, he took that cup. He says, this cup represents the new covenant that's secured by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together now. Amen. Remember, church, Jesus willfully submitted himself to persecution in order to deliver sinners from their sin. So as we remember Jesus, let's be motivated then to remember and proactively serve the persecuted who are in Jesus' family. May God use our prayers to increase gratitude and confidence and love in all of our hearts today because of Jesus. I invite you to stand now as we pray our benediction today and go out into our week of worship and witness. Our benediction today comes from 1 Peter a whole letter about suffering and persecution. It's a glorious study. First Peter chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. Let's pray this out loud together as we go into our week. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And you are dismissed.